Uh, we'll now turn our attention uh, to the ministry of God's Word. And um, uh, this morning, uh, I thought it would be good to uh, look at a passage and to do a teaching focused a little bit on Christmas, especially given our time of year. And, uh, and so please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Um, we'll look at just a short passage today, Titus chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 14. I believe it should be on the screen, or you can uh, look in your Bibles, but let me read this for us, and then we'll look at the sermon for today. Uh, it says from verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. Uh, good morning once again uh, to everybody uh, who is here uh, this morning present physically, as well as those who are worshiping alongside of us uh, online as well. Uh, I wanted to uh, spend some time this morning looking at a Christmas passage, and yes, this is a Christmas passage. In fact, for so some traditions, uh, church traditions, uh, they read this passage uh, every year around Christmas Eve. And so I just wanted to look at it uh, with us together and kind of focus our minds and our attention on, on Christmas and on the incarnation. I just want to be uh, pretty upfront from the very beginning, sort of focusing our mind and attention on what is important here. And uh, the reason why I think this passage is important and that we should listen to it, and the reason why I think you should pay attention to today's sermon is that we are prone to forget, I think, uh, what Christmas is about and why Jesus came, right? We are prone to forget that. I think in the midst of all of the celebrations that we have, which are, you know, Christmas parties and family gatherings and dinners and as we wrap presents and as we exchange gifts and in the midst of all the joy and all the laughter and all the fun times, it is very, very easy, I think, to forget why we're doing that in the first place. And my hope is that we would do those things, actually. In fact, I think those things are good. None of those things are bad, right? We should do these things. But in the midst of celebration, my hope is that we would celebrate Christ, that we would honor him and lift him high. And I hope that this message would really highlight that uh, for us at this Christmas time. Now, I want to tackle this passage by looking at three different points. Uh, I want to look at the appearance of grace, followed by the presence of grace. Lastly, the hope of grace. And if you look at all three, there's a certain trajectory to all of them, and that is there's a past tenseness to it, a present tense, and then a future. So past, present, and future. And I hope that's helpful in terms of organizing uh, what we'll be talking about today. And so first, we see the appearance of grace, verse 11. All right, verse 11 says, Paul says that the grace of God, the grace of God has appeared. Uh, now, this, I believe, is speaking 
uh, to the incarnation, right? That God has come to us as a baby, that the one who is fully God has now become fully man uh, for us. And, and the way that it's written, sometimes perhaps even in the English, sometimes we think that, oh, this sounds kind of happenstance, or it just kind of sounds like it just happened, right? He just happened to appear, right? He just happened to come. Uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The birth of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus, was actually planned by God. And in fact, we see in a different Pauline epistle in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Right? The fullness of time. In other words, at just the right moment, at just the right time, according to the plan of God, according to the will of God, according to his decree, God sent his son and his son obediently and willingly uh, came to us. And so it wasn't some accident. It didn't just happen to happen at that time. But no, it was planned by the Lord for that exact moment. But why? Right? Why? Why did Jesus come to us? Well, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we find that Adam and Eve disobey the Lord. They eat the fruit that they should not have eaten, and sin enters the world, thereby corrupting themselves. They are fully depraved, and then there's the relationship with God is corrupted, the relationship with nature, with, with each other. I mean, everything is just messed up because sin has entered the world. And yet the grace of God is that in the very same chapter that sin enters the world, God gives a promise. And it's found in chapter 3, verse 15, which theologians call the first gospel. And actually God is speaking to the serpent. He's talking to the serpent who deceived Eve and the promise is that the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head and that he will bruise the offspring's heel. Right? It's the first gospel. And this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As he dies on the cross, perhaps Satan thought he won, right? Uh, but it's just nipping at his heels, really, because a few days later, Jesus was raised again from the dead and the serpent was crushed, death has lost its sting. And so God's promise is given that this offspring, this one, right, the one, is coming. And what do the people of God do? Well, they've been waiting, right, waiting for the one. Now, what's interesting about this for me is that just a few verses later in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, uh, my Hebrew professor when I was at Westminster, he, he says that actually when Eve... When Eve talks about giving birth to Cain at the beginning of chapter 4, the way she says it, you know, with the help of the Lord, I have gotten this man, or, yeah, something like that. I'm butchering it, but with the help of the Lord, and I have, you know, this man is born, right? That the way she says it, it almost sounds as if Eve thought that Cain was the promised offspring, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I'm sure like at that point, giving birth was a new thing. And she's probably wondering like, what is going on? And, and God just gave this promise a few verses earlier that this, my offspring is going to crush the serpent's head. And so, yeah, maybe this is the one, right? God didn't give a, a time or a schedule, right? Maybe Cain is the one. And, but we find out that, nope, Cain is certainly not the one. He fails, I mean, he kills Abel, right, his brother, and he does all these other things as well. So Cain's not the one. So who is it? And so they keep waiting. 
Could it be Noah? I mean, God uses him. He's righteous, right? And so he enters the ark, but then sin <laughs> enters the ark with him. He comes out of the ark. What does he do? I mean, he's a drunk. It's not Noah. Could it be Abraham? I mean, man who is called by God to leave his pagan land, to go to where God will send him, and, you know, righteousness is credited to his account. I mean, surely it's Abraham, but no, amidst all the sins that he commits, I mean, the most prominent in my head for some reason is the one where he gives up his wife Sarah to Pharaoh to save his own skin. Nope, it's not Abraham. (laughs) Is it Moses? Surely it's Moses, right? God uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and... No, he's a murderer. And in fact, he's not even allowed to enter into the promised land. Is it David? Man after God's own heart. No, murderer, adulterer, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's none of these people, prophet, priests, kings, and the old. It's none of them. They all fall short of the glory of God, and none of them are the promised offspring to come. And not only these so-called heroes and leaders right, of the faith of the people of God, but it's everyone. If you think about it in the Old Testament, they all fall away. I mean, just they're supposed to wait for the promised one. Maybe they got tired of waiting. I don't know, but they turn from the Lord and they run to idols made out of stat- or wood and stone, right, statues made out of wood and stone. I mean, they turn from God. It just seems to get worse and worse. I mean, the wickedness was so great in the eyes of the Lord. They turned from God. Where is the promised Messiah? And it seems as if things are getting darker and darker. Uh, There's a poet by the name of Wendell Berry. I'm not going to read the whole poem out for us, but there's this one line which really uh, captures it for me. It's very simple, but he says, it gets darker and darker and darker, and then Jesus appears. And it's beautiful because I get this picture of just pitch black, and then there's this light that just appears, bright for all to see. It actually captures a little bit, I think, of what Paul is saying in Titus chapter 2. When, when he says the grace of God has appeared, he uses the word that actually means bright light for the word appear. Seems like Paul has that picture as well, right? It's dark, but Jesus has come. And it's a reminder to me of how the people of God have failed, but we have all failed. And in our darkness, we need the Lord. You know, this was really emphasized to me even just this past week. Just just how sinful I am. Uh, This past week was just a really hard week. Um, you know, work was really, I don't know why, but work was just like everything that could go wrong went wrong at work. I mean, just patients like dying and then like, you know, codes going off. If you've ever heard a mother wail over the loss of her child, it's probably the most piercing wail you can hear. I mean, it's, it's like etched into your soul forever. And everything just went wrong at work. And so I'm running around like a madman going to all these different things. I come home, and then my children are running around like madmen at home, just going crazy. 
Uh, not only that, but, you know, Olivia had, like, all these performances at school. Like, like so many performances. Like, why, why do teachers do that? You know what I mean? Like, all in one week. But anyway, like, all these, and so we go to those things. And then, now, and then Susan had a performance, actually. Like, Susan did something at school. And I'm watching the kids while she's doing that. And, like, and then my extended family, uh, some of you know, they love to meet. Which is cool. Again, you should meet, right? Like I said, but they love to meet. And so this past week, we met twice, like in one week. Like, um, and it's cool. Again, I love them, but um, I mean, just everything, like, it's just like jam packed to the gills. Like, it was one of the busiest and trying weeks in a while. And then to top it all off, a couple of days ago, I get a text from Pastor Young. And he says, My wife and I are sick. And when I got that text, I literally dropped everything I was doing. I paused, and I prayed for them. I love them. I'm concerned for them. I prayed for them. It was genuine. It was sincere. And then I reread the text. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this means I'm up. <laughs> and you know what happened? This is how sinful I am. I instantly started to grumble in my heart. Not because of him. I mean, it's not his fault. I mean, the past six weeks, I was sick like so many times. It's not his fault. I grumbled in my heart at God. Like, God, like, what are you, like, don't you know what this week is like? <laughs> you know, like, why not last week? Or how about, how about January? God, January looks good for me. I started to grumble. I was so prideful. You know, like with, with one breath, I was genuinely praying for Pastor Young and his family. And then the next breath, I was grumbling in my heart against God. I was seeking to dethrone God. Like, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, I know what's best. Like, you don't know anything about scheduling and timing, apparently. Let me sit on that throne. I sinned against the Lord. And I had to repent and spend time asking for forgiveness. You know, this is how sinful I am. And, and I'm sure all of us, you know, we all have our sin of choice, our struggles. Even this past week, you probably struggled with them. Right? And yet, this is why Christ came. This is how much he loves you. Right? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Right? This is how much God loves you. He's not willing to leave you alone in your sin. And he came to do that which you could not do to keep the covenant, to fully obey God. He did it for you. See, Christmas is an indictment on us. It's not just joy and singing and even though it is those things, but it's also an indictment. You're not good enough. You cannot do it on your own. And so Christ came. That's how much he loves you. Rest in that. Remember that. And as you celebrate, celebrate Christ. You know, fall on your knees before him. That he loves you this much and he wants to save you, right, by faith. And so grace has appeared. Now, the beautiful thing is that grace is still here with us. Uh, grace, the grace of God hasn't gone 
away, but still present with us. I, have you ever wondered? Uh, I've wondered whenever I was probably a little kid. I really, I've always asked this like every once in a while. That, have you ever wondered, why doesn't God just whisk us away to heaven? Like, I, I get it. You know, we're, we're, we're dead in our sins. And then God makes us alive in Christ. But once I'm alive in Christ, why don't I just go to heaven to be with God? Like, why am I still here? Like, why doesn't he take me away like Enoch and Elijah, right? Why am I still here? Well, I think Paul sort of speaks to this a little bit in verse 14, where he talks about how God redeemed us and purified us, a people zealous for good works. Right? There, apparently, there's work left to be done. Right? Good works that God is calling us to do while we're here on earth. It could be any number of things. To build God's church. To love your families. To love your communities. To work hard in your workplaces. Right? Whatever it might be. Sharing the gospel with others so that they might know Christ. Whatever it might be. Uh, God has good works left for you and for me. And the grace of God that endures, that abides with us still, is here to help us to do that. Now, how does that grace help us? Well, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so what happens? God's grace appears God's grace remains. Why? To train us to fight sin and to say yes to holiness. Now, you might be wondering, didn't you just say like five minutes ago that Jesus came to crush the serpent's head and to deal with sin once and for all? What is this training to fight sin business? Like, was it, was Jesus like, did he... Was it insufficient? Am I adding to what Jesus did? Like, like, what is this training to fight sin about? And I think it's a very, very good question, right? We, we, need, to, we need to talk about this. Now, one of the ways that this was um, explained to me, and I hope it's helpful to you, is that when Jesus came and he lived for us, he died for us, and he was raised for us, the power of sin in our lives it has been forever broken by faith alone. Right? You are no longer enslaved to sin. In fact, you're enslaved to Christ, the Bible says. And so it has no power to drag you down to death. And yet what happens, though, is that though its power is broken, its presence continues. The effects of sin still linger, and the presence of sin is still there. And so that's why we need to train to fight against sin. Uh, some of you might know this story, but there's a person who will remain nameless, and she and her husband one day, several years ago, they were living in an apartment. I believe it was on the third floor, and they were living in an apartment, and they decided one evening to invite their pastor over for dinner. And this person, she decided, you know what, I want to cook Tonkas for my pastor. You, you know, the Korean pork cutlet, um, deep fried and just, I mean, just juicy and, and tender and crispy. And you dip it in the sauce and you eat it with some rice and kimchi. Maybe that 
Koreanized coleslaw thing that people serve, and it's just so delicious, right? And I probably want some later today. Actually, it sounds pretty good. But um, she decided to cook this. And so what does she do? Well, she takes a pot, fills it with oil, puts it on the stove, and heats it up, right? So she can deep fry it. Well, long story short, the oil bubbles over, and her kitchen catches on fire. It is a horrendous mess. Smoke and oil and fire everywhere. The fire department gets called in to come because there's a fire. But thankfully, because they live in an apartment building that's equipped with this, there's sprinklers, right? There's a sprinkler system. It goes off and the fire is extinguished, right? What was once smoky and fiery and oily is now just smoky, oily, and very, very wet. In fact, so wet that all the water that was in their apartment, it seeped down into the apartments below them and flooded their apartments as well. I mean, just a horrendous mess. And they spent a long time dealing with insurance. Thankfully, they had insurance, covered everything, right? Covered everything. Insurance, but then trying to appease some angry neighbors <laughs> underneath them and replacing furniture and do, redoing the walls and like the flooring. And I mean, just everything, I mean, everything was gone, right? You had to replace, you had to replace it all. Um, but thankfully, again, the fire was extinguished. Now, I, I share that to say that for me, as I try to organize this in my own head, it, it's helpful for me anyway, that the fire, the threat of the fire was extinguished and it's gone. And yet the effects of it were lingering in long term for a very, very long time. Restoration of everything took a while. And it was hard work, actually. It wasn't easy to get the new stuff and deal with neighbors and what have you. I think it's a small picture of what it looks like to continue in this Christian life. You see, if you are a Christian, the fire of God's wrath is no longer over you because it's all been placed on Christ. And the threat, the threat of the power of sin in your life is forever broken in Christ. And yet the effects of sin and all its miseries, we have to continue to deal with today. And you know this. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, right? You know this as you see your own lives. And this is why we need to train, Paul says, to fight against these things. And I guess the question is, are you training well? You see, God's grace is here for you. But are you training well? Uh, the word train here is interesting for me. It means to instruct children. It reminds me of my own kids. And when I think about my own kids, especially as I try to instruct them in certain things, these days it's math. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, Olivia especially learning long division, you know, multiplication and all that. How do you train them? Repetition, really, right? What's eight times four? What's eight times nine? It's just... You've got to drill it into their heads, repetition again and again and again. Um, I think part of what it means to grow in the Christian life and to be trained by the Lord is to be faithful in the things that God has called us to do over and over again. Whether it's to meet together regularly like this, 
whether it's to continue regularly in word and in prayer, whether it's to partake in the sacraments. These are ways in which God blesses us and gives us his grace so that we might train, so that we might grow in holiness. You know, when I take a look at my life, and if I'm perfectly honest with myself as I observe my life from time to time, it should not surprise me that in the moments when I'm really struggling a lot, that if I have not been training well, partaking in the means of grace that God has given, it should not surprise me that when I'm not doing those things, that, yeah, I might be struggling a little bit. You know, so to be apart from the means of grace and to be apart from the way in which God has prescribed for us to train, I think it's a mistake for, for many of us. And the Lord calls us to continue in these things. And again, the encouragement is that you don't do this on your own strength. No, the grace that has appeared is training you. He is with you. And so go to him and by his strength do those things. And so grace has appeared. Grace is still present. And now there's a future hope as well. The hope of grace found in verse 13. Verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting here is that apparently there's more waiting left. The people in the Old Testament, they were waiting. And if they don't believe in Jesus, you know, the Israelites perhaps, I guess they're still waiting. I'm not sure, right? But there's a lot of waiting in the Old Testament, and now there's waiting for us as well. And the difference, however, is that we who believe in Jesus as our Messiah, we are waiting for his return, for his second coming, for the time when he will come back and restore all things, and take us home uh, with him. And so there's more waiting left for us. And again, if I can pose another question, not only are we training well, but are we waiting well? Okay, are we waiting well? Now, how? Right? How should we wait? Uh, well, waiting in this context, and actually just waiting, I think, in general in Scripture, it's not passive. It's not passive. It's not, it's not, oh, you go to a restaurant and the hostess tells you it's a 30-minute wait, and so you sit on the bench, and you're just sitting there like doing nothing. Right? No, it's not passive in Scripture. Waiting in Scripture is actually very, very active. It's active, and it's participatory. One passage in particular that's helpful for this is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, since all of these things are thus to be resolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Did you catch that? Peter says that the way that we wait in holiness and in godliness, the way that we wait actually hastens the day of the Lord. Now, that, to me, like, I still can't really wrap my brain around that. Like, it, it hurts my head to think about it too much. Like, there seems to be a lot of, like, theological conundrums with that. And yet, 
what's what what he's saying is we can hasten the day of the Lord. That God, for whatever reason, he uses us and includes us and our actions and our lives in his will and in his purposes. And then we can actually hasten the day of God. It's participatory. Waiting is very, very active. And so the way we wait then and what we do is very, very important as we wait for God. And so let's get practical with this. Let's get practical with this. Let's, let's apply this a little bit if we can. Now, you guys know Martin Luther, the German theologian, right? part of the Protestant Reformation. He was asked a question one day, and he was asked this question. He was asked, if you knew that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, what would you do today? It's a good question, right? Maybe you've wondered some variation of that before. And you would think that because it's Martin Luther, oh, he would say something like, well, for the first eight hours, I would be on my hands and knees praying for all my heathen friends that they would come to know the Lord. And then the next eight hours, I would go out into the street corners and preach the gospel so that those who hear it will come to know the Lord. And then for the last eight hours, I would hold an emergency worship service and invite all my heathen friends, and they would come and hear the gospel and come to know the Lord. If I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. He doesn't say any of those things, not not even close to those things. What he says is, if I knew that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, I would go out today and plant an apple tree. And you're like, what? You would plant an apple tree? And I think what he was getting at is that he has been living his life all along faithfully to the Lord and that he has been waiting in such a way, anticipating the return of Christ, And that if he planned to plant an apple tree to the glory of God today, he wasn't going to go and do that. And I guess the question again for us is, what is your apple tree? And are you planting it to the glory of God? Are you being faithful in what God has called you to? Are you waiting with eager expectation for the return of the Lord, or is our waiting simply just very, very passive? What are you doing for the Lord? Whether you're changing diapers, whether you're filling out Excel sheet files, whether you're making rounds in the hospital, whether you're opening up Outlook for work, whether you're opening a textbook for school, whether you're raising your children, whether you're loving your community or raising the people of God at church or whatever it is that you're doing, Are you being faithful in it and being joyful in that work, knowing that you're not working for people? You're not doing good works ultimately for people or even for yourself or your family. No, you're doing it for the Lord ultimately. And in so doing, you're actively participating in the will of God for your life and waiting for his return. And are we doing that? 
But if I could take it just one step further, one step deeper than that, not just that you are doing these things for the Lord, but what is your attitude in doing it? Like, is there joy in your hearts? Uh, One of the things that I, I think I actually shared this with my community group probably several weeks ago. Um, I try to share this with whoever will listen because I believe it. I mean, maybe you don't believe it, or you maybe you'll you'll disagree with it. That's fine. But for me, it's like um, <clears throat> if you believe that something is going to happen in the future, it necessarily dictates how you will live today. Like like if you know that this week you have some exams, hopefully the past several days you know you've been preparing for the exam. If you know that next week you're going on vacation, hopefully you're, you know, you plan the hotel rooms and itinerary and you're packing or whatever. Um, If you know that something is going to happen, it it changes how you do it today. But not only does it change how, you know, what you do today, but I think it can change sort of our attitude in doing it as well. Uh, Several weeks ago, Susan's cousin uh, got married and we went for the wedding. And what was really cool was that um, it was that big canoe, right, where we had our church retreat. And uh, we went there, and, you know, they have a chapel. They have, like, this clubhouse for reception. It's really, really nice. And when we went there for the wedding, we stayed there over the weekend, and the house that we stayed in was literally right next door to the main house for the church retreat. I guess that whole street, they just, like, rented out to people, right? And so, <laughs> anyway, like, we were staying there, and um, – uh, we went for the for the for the wedding, but I was thinking back actually to the church retreat because of that. And um, I remember during the retreat, <clears throat> uh, Susan's cousin and her, and his then fiance actually came to Big Canoe during the retreat. And actually, we uh, the kids were playing in the playground, and and uh, you know we're uh, they came and we visited with them, right? And um, I, I guess they were doing wedding prep or or something. I don't I don't know why they were there, but anyway, I, I started to talk to. Um, the uh, 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 Susan's cousin's fiance, right? And I was asking her, you know, how's it going? Right? How's the wedding prep and everything? And she was like, oh, man, it's really hard. Like, time is running out. It's in a couple of weeks, right? And, and, like, there's still so much left to be done, you know, like, you know, photographers and flowers and, you know, the menu for the, and even, like, the guest list and like have you ever dealt with family and friends and like man like they they get on my nerves sometimes and like you know just a lot of things going on and and I was just trying to empathize with her you know because I I went through that you know several years ago and so I was like yeah 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 you know I I get you I get you and uh, but even as she's saying just how hard it is there's a smile on her face right there's a joy to what she's saying, because she knows that, yeah, it's hard. We're not belittling that. We're not downplaying that. It's hard, and yet the day is coming, right? The day is coming when I will be with my groom. And I can't help but think about how one day our, our groom is coming back for us. Our Lord Jesus is coming, and one day we will be with him. And yes, life is hard. I mean, Paul talks about how this is a light and momentary affliction, 
And I'm just like, really? Like light and momentary? And man, it's like we're really going through it sometimes, right? But, but no, he's saying that in light of the future glory. And there's a joy that comes with that. Why? Because your groom is coming. And my hope for us is that, yes, Jesus appeared. Yes, his presence is with us still even today. But he will, he will bodily be with us one day. Right? He will return for us. And my hope is that that will give us such joy in the midst of all of our afflictions. That it's completely worth it. Why? Because of the love of the Lord. And the joy that he brings. Let us pray. Father, we bow our heads before you. Lord, who are we that you would love us so much that in the midst of our sins, while we were still dead in our sins, you sent Christ to us. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing love and this grace that you give to us. Help us, Lord, during this time in the next few weeks as we celebrate together, Lord, to remember Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. But, Lord, we long for the day, God, when we will be before you face to face. Help us, Lord, to wait well. Help us, Lord, to long for you. And Lord, give us strength that we may do so today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.